Okay, we are in Exodus chapter 17. Uh, Exodus chapter 17 has two parts, uh, verses 1 through 7. Um, is the story of Moses striking the rock. Um, the second part of the passage is the story of the battle with Amalek, where Moses holds his hands up and they win, or if his hands go down, they lose. That we'll deal with next week. But we want to take the first part, Moses striking the rock. Um, there's actually two times Moses strikes the rock, right? First time he strikes the rock because God tells him to strike the rock, and water comes out. The other time he strikes the rock when God told him to talk to it, speak to the rock. And because of that, he doesn't go into the promised land. That second event, we won't cover in Exodus. It takes place in Numbers. It's actually right before they go into the promised land, or relatively soon after that. In other words, it's the second generation. So what we see here today is going to get repeated. Moses disobeys along with the people and is prevented from going into the promised land. Um, but this is the first time that it happens. Now, um, the situation is people have run out of water, and God needs to provide water, and we have an altercation. And I have to admit, when I first read this, I thought, okay, God, couldn't you have just arranged Exodus a little different so that this comes a little bit later? I mean, right, we, we just talked about them not having water and grumbling. And then God tells Moses to throw the tree in the water, and he talks about, I'll be your healer. And then we had two weeks of dealing with them being hungry. Um, that was because it took me two weeks to get through it. But So we've been now three weeks dealing with people where their physical needs need to be met. And now the very next thing that happens is they need water. And I, I thought, what am I supposed to do? Just teach the same lesson. But actually, when you get to this lesson, it's a very different passage of Scripture. Uh, something has changed. Uh, on the part of the people. Uh, this passage of scripture becomes seminal. You have it referred to in the New Testament, uh, in Hebrews, in Corinthians, in Matthew, this passage of scripture is referred to. Uh, it's referred to in Luke, I mean not Luke, in, I don't know why I just said Luke there, Psalm, well I think it is in Luke as well, but in Psalm, and Isaiah, and Deuteronomy, and Numbers. Uh, this this keeps coming back up again. There's two ideas that will come out of this. The first one is that it is sinful to test the Lord. And we'll talk about what that is. And second, that God is um, present among us, even in the midst of our sin, and he is the provider for us. And they almost seem like they're two kind of separate things, but they both come out of this passage, and they will run through the rest of the Bible. So, Let's go ahead and read uh, Exodus 17, uh, 1 through 7, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. It says, All the congregation of the Israel moved from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking 
with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of the people. And he called the name of that place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Okay. Um, keep in mind the word Horeb. The rock is at Horeb. That's a place. Um, that's where they actually are. Well, they're at Rephidim, but there's a rock at Horeb. And then the name of the place becomes Massa and Meribah. And if you have the little notes in your Bible, Massa means um, testing. testing. And Meribah means court. So this is the place of testing and court. Okay? Um, first thing we spot is that God commanded them to move. Now, it kind of implies that he commanded them to go in stages, but it's interesting that they are moving to where they are, and this is one of the few times in Exodus where it says it, where they are being commanded by the Lord to move. Uh, the last time they ran out of water, they had to go at Moses' command. Now they're going at the command of the Lord. Um, and they get there, and there's no water. And I've been pretty kind to the people of this time. When you run out of water, that's a serious thing. But this is now their second time of running out of water. And, and something has changed. What's changed from last time, those of you who've been around? What's different in their response? They are basically grumbling at Moses now. I believe it's a no, they grumbled at Moses before. In fact, they grumbled at Moses at the, at the first water um, where the waters were made sweet. The second time they grumbled against Moses, and remember what God said? You're not grumbling against Moses, you're grumbling against me. me. Uh, don't pretend that you are grumbling against Moses, you're grumbling against me. Okay? Then what? So what's different? Well. What is that? Yeah, there's actually three main differences, or two really main differences. The first one is that they are now quarreling. There's a difference between quarreling and grumbling. They are quarreling with Moses. And they are demanding water. Before, they didn't do that. So they are now making demands of God, actually of Moses, but it's really demanding of God. And they are quarreling with Moses, which means they're really quarreling with God. We've established that. There's a big difference between grumbling and quarreling. Imagine, parents, you're driving along, and you have the kids in the back seat, and you're going to Grandma's house, and it's a long drive. Four hours. So after a few hours, and if the kids aren't used, I do that because our drive from Grandma's house in four hours. But my kids are good travelers because they used to drive all the way across country. Uh, a a four-hour drive was like going to the store. That was nothing. But some of you, you know, you put your kids in the car and go four hours. What's going to happen? There's going to be grumbling. There's going to be grumbling. Why, why is it taking so long? I'm hungry. Da, 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 da. And what do you do as parents? And you just kind of ignore it and you tell them to be quiet. But if all of a sudden they said, you have no right to be taking me to grandma's house. 
If that was me, I would spin around and say, okay, now we've crossed the line. Right? That's different. <laughs> a little bit of grumbling and complaining, but you start quarreling with me? What do you suppose they were quarreling with you? They're basically accusing him of bringing him out of Egypt only to kill him here. Okay. So they're quarreling with him about his judgment and leading them out into the wilderness. Right. Who's that? Yeah, and that's actually kind of backed up because it says that they wanted to stone him. So this is a mutiny. Okay. This is not just quarreling. This is, I think full-on rebellion against God. What right did you have to do this? Uh, who's, uh, why are we listening to your authority? They're quarreling with Moses about authority. Um, they are not asking for water. They are demanding water. And when they demand water, God says that you are testing me. And then the last thing that they do is that they start asking this question. Is the Lord among us or and Moses says that that is also testing. Uh, I think this is important because if we're going to talk about this passage, this deals with testing God. And it seems to me that there's two components here to testing God. One is making demands of God. And the second one is telling him that if he doesn't fulfill those demands, then you don't believe that he's present. God, if you don't do what we want you to do, then we don't believe in you. That's the logic of this passage. Okay. What? So, I'll say it louder. Your belief in him is contingent. Exactly. And that was the test that took place here. Um, now, it's interesting. Um, if, if you were Moses, and they were saying... Um, is the Lord among us or not? What would you answer? Yes, but why? Didn't prove. What what proof is it? Okay, so you're going to the history. Look at what God has already done. What else? Yeah. What's what's right outside the camp? Great big cloud that isn't normal. Cloud and a pillar of fire at nighttime. What else? Okay, so he, he promised to be with them. There's something else that happens every sing, single morning. God is still feeding them. They still have their manna every morning. They woke up that morning. They gathered manna, which fell from heaven. And then they say, is God with us or not? Okay. But let's not be too quick to judge our Israelite brother. Um, what do we have that proves that God is with us? Wesley holds up the Bible. Uh, they had a prophet, Moses. We have the word of God. Uh, we have more. David mentioned the history. We have more history. Okay, We have all of what we've seen Christ do. What else do we have? Uh, we're going to have something different. Uh, it's like their behavior is, hey, we got results the last time we did what we did. Now we'll just keep on doing it. Same result, we get better results. Yeah. 
Well, and that's, that was, we had mentioned that prior, so I'm glad you brought that up. The first couple of times, they don't know their God yet. But at this point now, they know that God is the providing God. That's why we bring up the manna. The manna's there every morning. God's not going to feed them and then let them die of thirst. So what's happening is this is a new mode. They know who their God is, and they're testing him anyways, and basically saying, you need to do what we want you to do. Okay. Um, let, let me take you to a few verses, because I do want you to see this. Uh, this becomes characteristic. This place becomes characteristic. They are hard-hearted, rebellious people who test the Lord. Uh, this incident keeps getting referred to as you go through scripture. So uh, jump over with me to Deuteronomy chapter 9. We're going to look at a couple of verses. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. It says, therefore, uh, know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day you came out on the, of the land of Egypt until you came into this place. You have been rebellious against the Lord. Even at Horeb, that's the incident we're talking about. Even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath and the Lord was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. Um, we don't get that subcontext, but God is upset with their actions. We don't see it in the passage because he just provides the water, but he was ready to destroy. His wrath was kindled against the people. Um, go over to Isaiah, uh, not Isaiah, Psalm 95, um, 7 through 9. Finding that 95. Seven through nine. I, uh, Psalm 95, 7 through 9. Um, actually, if starting at the beginning of the verse, you start in the middle and you see the part we want, but it says, you know, let's go back to verse 6 because these are good verses. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. Uh, Lord our maker for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as at Meribah on the day at Massa in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and you put me to the proof though they had seen my work then he says for 40 years I loathe that generation they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The people are not going to go into the promised land partly because of this, although it's more directly because they reject what the spies say. But it begins here. Um, go to Hebrews for me. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews 3 um, and verse 8. Actually, starting in verse 7. It says, um, Therefore, as the Holy Scriptures say, today if you harden his hearts, 
uh, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of old, as in the rebellion. That's added from the psalm. This is the same passage, but it says, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the, in the wilderness. Uh, here's what has just happened. The translator took Masa, which means rebellion, and instead of said at Masa, just changed it to rebellion. This place is rebellion. This place is testing. Do not harden your heart as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to test, to the test and saw my works for 40 years. So let's, let's talk about the testing. I think we understand that they're rebelling and that rebellion is bad. What is so bad about what they're doing? What's so bad about testing them? You're questioning his goodness or some other attribute of God. It might be his power, it might be his faithfulness, it might be his love. You're questioning him. If, it were taken, if we're just kind of taking what we're saying here in whole, what they may have been doing is that they may have been trying to subjugate God. Okay, so that they're trying to control him, put him in a box. Very good. So that um, they're kind of using child psychology on him. You know, I don't think you can make that. Maybe. I don't think they are. I don't think you can even really make the water, God. Okay, and prove it to us. So. Demonstrating the lack of faith. Very definite lack of faith. Um, and I think that's what Lisa had said, but that is, that's the case. How about a mercenary mentality? You what I want, or I'll go to the other side. Okay, so um, a very, well, there's the rebellion. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Um, is it ever right for a person to test God? What's that? Okay, search the scripture. All right. Even though Omega. It says where? How about Matthew? Yes, Matthew 4. We're going to go there in a minute. Okay, Matthew 4, in response to a specific temptation, he says, do not test the Lord your God. Um, it, would there ever, uh, so that, that seems pretty definitive. Would there ever be a time that we could test God, though? Well, we got Gideon. Uh, you know, we really need to the people and kill all the invaders. It's like, uh, you know, uh, there was the goat skin that was supposed to be damp in the morning. And, yeah. And even Paul says, do not believe every spirit that comes your way, but test them to make sure they don't come from God. Yeah. I think those are two different uh, situations. But the one, we do recognize Gideon says a lack of faith. Right? God put up with that. Um, what about somebody who doesn't know God yet? Well, that's what I'm wondering. Uh, the reason I bring it up is because, to be fair, there is one place in the Bible where God tell, tells us to put him to the test. Um, it's in um, Malachi. The, we can look at that. Malachi, the people had stopped. I just want to be careful not to say that any time you test God, that that's always wrong. Um, in Malachi uh, chapter 3, 
Um, and verse 10, and the situation is they have stopped tithing. And they, God calls them out on it. And apparently they've stopped tithing because they don't, by the way, tithing is probably something we should talk about periodically. I know Pastor uh, David preached a sermon, I was gone that week. Tithing is an expression of faith. Tithing says, uh, I, I, I don't know where all the money's coming from, but whatever I have came from you and I give you the first fruits back. Uh, people who don't tithe express a lack of faith. Even when we're in tight economic circumstances, the tithe should be the first thing we do as an expression of the fact that God gave this to us. You say, well, well what, what am I going to do? I'm not going to be able to pay the mortgage. That's where we begin to trust in God for those things. And that's what God says. says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Um, uh, there may be, uh, wait, 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 back up. Bring the full tithe into my storehouse that there may be food in my house. And therefore, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Um, I will rebuke the devourer. Basically, I'll take care of the problem. Put me to the test. Uh, and the reason I bring that up is apparently they had gone so long without tithing, they didn't remember that God was faithful to people who give. Um, so I think the answer to the question is the way, and I think David almost got to this, the way that we put God to the test rightly is to obey him and allow him to be faithful to his promises. That's how as Christians we obey him. Um, if you're not a Christian, I, d I don't know about that, but um, we're not to put God to the test. And that's why, Megan, your comment, Jesus knows his God. He doesn't have to put God to the test ever because he knows the character of God as a son knows his father. And we're going to go to that verse in just a second. Go ahead. I think, I think part of this is the motive to test God. If, if you're wanting to test God because you want to know him better and when you know him better, you're going to become more like him, then Okay, and how did you test him? Um, I'm not totally sure, but I'm thinking more in the in the terms of saying, well, Lord, I don't understand what this is. If it means this, then do this. If it doesn't mean that, then don't do that. I don't know. If that. I have to think what about I'm that one. Is when God opens our eyes to his word, when we desire to know him. If we desire to criticize him and not, uh, and, and we don't make a commitment to believing him and living for him, then he's not going to reveal his word to us. Yeah. And I guess that's what I was trying to associate with. Yeah, and it's important because we want to make sure that we don't come away saying, okay, well, we need to know what testing is. So um, go to Mark, I mean, not Mark, Matthew chapter 4. Um, this, by the way, is fascinating to me, that um, the story of Jesus being led in the wilderness parallels the story of the Israelites going into the wilderness. He passes through the Red Sea, the Israelites do, and Paul says they were baptized into Moses. I mentioned this last week. Um, Jesus is baptized. The very first thing that happens is the Spirit leads them both out into the wilderness. Jesus for 40 days. The Israelites end up being out there for 40 years, although you realize they aren't really 
wandering in the wilderness yet. That's not until they disobey and, and reject the spies. But they, they're 40 years in the wilderness. The first thing that happens is he doesn't have food. And Satan tempts him. And they go out in the wilderness and they run out of food. They have no, no food. And God sends manna. And then the second thing is this one. Where they're putting, where where Satan tries to get Jesus to put God to the test. So in Luke, Mark, Matthew, chapter four, um, we know the story. Um, Jesus, the devil came to him. This is verse five. Took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, "If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, on their hands." They will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, Satan quotes a verse from the Old Testament that implies God's going to protect Jesus. Okay, prove, make God prove that to you. I know there's probably more to this temptation than that, but, but for Jesus to say, I'm going to throw myself off the temple to see if God will catch me, means that he's testing the Lord. So um, let, let's go back to Exodus because we're going to run out of time. Um, he, here's, here's the thing. When, when we make, the, the passage south says, when you make any sort of demand or condition and place that upon God, and the response, if God doesn't re respond properly, is to doubt him. That's testing the Lord. Um, and, and what happens is, during that period of time, I think we feel like God is absent. God appears to be not working in our lives. I think the time of testing comes when we face something and it seems to us that God is not doing what he ought to be doing. God should be giving water to his people. Um, I don't know what your situation is. I have no idea what testing you're going through. And maybe you're not going through anything at all. I can look back on long stretches of my life where everything is just perfect. And then we go through times of testing. And the danger in the time of testing is to do what the Israelites did and say, where is God in all of this? Um, and, and that is when we're most vulnerable to begin to test the Lord. Things aren't going the way I want. I've prayed to God. He hasn't answered. Where's God? And that's why part of that test was questioning God when, when the times were difficult. Um, we're going to run out of time. It is interesting. Um, I wanted to show you this. Um, if you go to Psalm 81, 7. <coughs> Psalm 87, Psalm 81, 7. Um, it says, in distress you called, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Um, we are not to test God. But God always tests 
us. The people thought they were testing God, but God says, no, I was actually testing you. I was testing your faith. I was testing your patience, your uh, belief in me. And they failed the test. Okay? They failed the test. But we can turn any situation around like that. What we're going through, we can put God to the test or we can understand that God is testing us. Um, go to um, go to Deuteronomy 8. Back to Deuteronomy 8 because I want you to see this. In Deuteronomy 8.2, it says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So God was testing the people for 40 years. But now jump over to verse 16. And it says, um, who fed you in the wilderness. Well, actually, if you back up, it specifically mentions, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness, verse 16, with its fiery serpents and scorpions, and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock. That's our story. Who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your, father, with, that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you what? To do, you good. to do you good in the end. The, the people were looking at it from one perspective. God's perspective is totally different. So again, I don't know what the situation is. I mean, Connie shares about Emily who's going through a terrible, difficult circumstance. We don't know. Uh, the, the prayers will be, God heal this, this, um, this cancer. The prayers cannot be, God, you have to heal this cancer, or I don't believe in you anymore. We don't, we don't bar, bargain with God, we don't bargain with Go ahead, Don.
Yeah, and I wondered about that when I read that. Since God is omniscient, he doesn't really need to know what in the heart. Um, I, I think the testing there is more, like you said, for us to know what's in the heart. Um, he's revealing himself to us by revealing us to ourselves, letting us know who we are and what we need from him. David. And the testing are demanding. I had 17. <coughs> Verse 17 of Deuteronomy 8 underlined. Uh, beware, at least you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten you as well. Yeah. And that goes back to that whole thing of dependence upon God. Right. When we stop seeing ourselves as being dependent on Him, then we feel like we can make those demands, and if He doesn't come through, then not going to. Psalm 63, that David is proclaiming when he's in the wilderness, he says, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. At a dry and weary land, water, there is no water. So I have looked upon you as a sanctuary, holding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. And so, I mean, uh, my thinking of this issue is, are you going to value God, or are you valuing yourself? Yeah. And, and is God trying to teach us to value him? He's better, better than life yourself. Yeah. The problem is sometimes there's pretty severe tests that come our way. Some real severe ones. And it's easy to, it's, it's easy to forget that in the time. Yeah. place where God was very present. Um, God becomes known as the rock. Okay, not the movie star, the rock. He is the rock. He is the rock of their salvation. He is the rock of Israel. That rock of Horeb actually rep became, became, began to become the, the physical um, representation that God was in their midst the whole time. <laughs> Let me show you that because I'm getting some strange looks there. Um, if you go, that's well, not there. Um, we're in Deuteronomy. Just jump over to Deuteronomy 32, 32, 3, and 4. It says, For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. That's in the Song of Moses when he's singing about their wilderness experience. God is the rock. We had seen it if you go over to Psalm 95, verse 1. 
Uh, we were in Psalm 95 before. Um, Psalm 95, um, verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make joyful noises to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise to him. This is the one where he then goes on and reminds them that um, of, of Meribah. That's what the second part of this is. So this is referring back to that situation. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, um, And it says, um, starting at the beginning, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all ate the same spiritual drink for they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Christ is the rock of our salvation. That picture of rock, in fact, the... the, um, the, the rabbis and some of the literature that grew up, extra biblical literature, they actually believed, some of them, that a rock rolled after them in the wilderness. That that rock followed them the rest of the time. God is the rock of our salvation. Um, in Isaiah 48, uh, interesting reference back to this. Isaiah 48, 21. Isaiah 48, 21. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made the water flow from, from there, from the rock. Uh, he split the rock and the water gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Man, I have the wrong verse. You're going to have to trust me on this. The verse that talks about that this peace that was flowing from the rock. People of God. Um, I'll, I'll have to find it. I thought it was in Isaiah 48. Um, and then um, there's another verse which talks about this represent. In fact, we should just turn there. This will be the last verse we look at. Psalm 105. Now I'm nervous. It's not the right verse. but Psalm 105, uh, 41 and 42. It says, He opened the rock and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river. That was a lot of water coming out of rock, especially since there's no water in rocks. Okay? <laughs> For he remembered, oh, this is great. He remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. God is a covenant-keeping God. He keeps the promises. Um, a couple of things in conclusion. First one, um, you know what was really sad about people testing God? I don't think they got to see the real miracle. Like, this is my own idea. You toss it out if you don't like it. I don't think they got to see the real miracle. God made water out of the rock. But I don't know if that's the miracle he had planned for them. Uh, they, if they would have been patient and had waited, God would have provided for them. And it may have been totally different. It may be that, they, that every morning they could put their bucket, I'm, I'm just speculating, God's infinitely more creative than I am. 
that they could just put their bucket outside and it was filled with water. Right? For the rest of the time. They may have had more because they keep running into running out of water. God provided right there for that one situation. He may have done like he did with manna, where they maybe they remember their shoes don't wear out, right? And their clothing don't wear out. Maybe they never got thirsty ever again. God could have done that. But instead, he answers their impatience causes him to respond, but in a way that may not have been what they had wanted. Uh, may not have been the best. Um, in fact, there's another verse that talks about the other time they asked for quail and manna, and God gave them quail, asked they prayed for quail, but then God sent the fiery serpent sent afterwards. I sent you food, but then I sent a, a wasting, uh, wasting plague among you as well. Now, hold on, Matt, let me finish up here. Uh, here's the interesting thing. There's two, and I know we spent more time on one, you have this idea that the people tested God, but that God was present with them. By the way, in the passage, remember what Moses was supposed to do? He was supposed to walk in front of the people, carrying his staff, that's the authority of God, and then who stood with them by the rock? Yeah, the, what was that? The elders, but we missed the most important person. God himself stood. If you go back to, to Exodus, it says... Um, Pass on before the people, taking with you elders, and take the hand uh, in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there uh, at the rock. God was standing there. They didn't even see it. God was present there. Uh, I think for us, what happens is this. When we are under testing and trial, God is going to seem absent. I remember reading uh, C.S. Lewis uh, has an interesting book. It's called A Grief Observed. It's, he wrote it. It was actually diaries that he wrote after his wife died. It's a very moving book. Uh, you, you, if, if you've never read it, it's worth the read. But there's one point where he says, he goes, but where is God in all of this? In the midst of his grief, where is God? He says, I pray to God, and it's, a, it's as if he's not there. In fact, when I pray to him, it's almost as if I can hear a door being shut and the door locked and double locked. God seems absent, but God isn't absent. God is the rock of our salvation. God is present among us. The very time where the people were saying, where is God? God was standing in front of the rock. The very time that we find ourselves saying, where is God in all of this? God is present with us. And that's his promise to us. That's why we hold on to that idea that God is the rock of our salvation. He does not. He's permanent. He's he's with us. And he is faithful. And he keeps his covenant promises. So the testing, I mean, we, if you're not under test, it's real easy to look at this and say everything's good. But if you're being tested, the danger is to do and say God isn't with me now. But that's when, in a sense, he's the most present. He, he's right there with us in, in our midst, um, within us. And we know that. But it's at that time that we look back to this passage and understand that even when the people couldn't see any other way out, uh, God was at work among them. 
So I think the two strands of that tie together, and that's why this this really seminal. Don't test the Lord. Don't, don't make him prove himself for you. But when you are being tested by God, look for his presence. And if you don't see it, it's still there. Um, there's a lot more we could say on this, of course. There's things that I didn't get to that I wish I had. The right way to respond to testing, that would be Daniel. I mean, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God, even if you don't, God's able to save us, but if he doesn't, we still put our trust in him. I think Job um, responds rightly to tests, where though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Um, and Jesus, of course, responds properly to being tested. And he, of course, is our model. So, all right, we are over time. Um, any final comments before we're, we're done? And by the way, if you're not under testing right now, just praise the Lord. It, it becomes, and, uh, some of you are. Some of you are going through hard things right now. And it's easy to, to, to not be able to see God in the midst of that. Well, today we talked about, we talked about the virtues of democracy, the will of the people. No, no, I don't want to get into democracy. Well, oh, no, you're talking here, about... We're talking about the Old Testament here. here we're, every, everywhere the, the will of the people is ever mentioned, it's usually in a, neg- in a negative light, not in a good light. Yeah. Popular, what's popular is not always good, and what's good is not always popular. Yeah, I'll agree with you on that. And that that's... Yeah. I, d- I didn't want to get into political conversation here, but I see where you're going now. So, okay, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and pray.